Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, the flagship show of the Bitcoin Podcast Network. This is episode 211, and I'm your first host, Marcello. I'm host number two, Dimitri. Host number three, Dr. Corey Petty coming at you. What's up, guys? Coming at you, baby. What's up, guys? What's going on today? <laughs> Dr. Corey Petty coming at you. Um, What's going on? It's not much, man. It's a pretty good week. Was it? Why was it a good week? Yeah. Um, I got to interview like five different people this week. I'm really starting to like interviews. What do you mean? Um, what do you mean you're really starting to like interviews? You've been doing it for three <laughs> and a half years. He's really getting the stride on three years in. <laughs> hey man, ten thousand hours. Yes. Get that here. Right. Um no, like uh had some okay, maybe that I worded that wrong. Had some good no, I worded it right. I'm really starting to like interviews. The The previous years we've been doing this, I fucking couldn't stand them. No, I'm kidding. Really? <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, I'm kidding. Cool. It was a joke. No. Um, yeah, it's good. We recorded just the headers, had all the interviews. Um, the weather was pretty decent in San Antonio. So uh, You went yeah, in on Roger Ver again? Roger Ver is such a D-bag. Did did you guys see that graph that he posted? No. No, go ahead and go ahead and explain it. I okay. saw the aftermath. He posts the graphs that has transactions per second. So transactions per second on the y-axis and time on the on the x-axis. And then for whatever reason under the sun, he posts two line graphs of one is the Bitcoin dominance percentage. And the other one is the actual market cap of all the altcoins put together. So obviously the Bitcoin dominance has gone down like 50% from its all-time high. But and the and that means the, the altcoin market cap has gone up. But he didn't graph dominance versus dominance. So it made it look like Bitcoin is literally like turning into the worst piece of garbage ever and altcoin market is rocketing to the moon. And I was like, this is the most misleading graph I've ever seen in my life. I feel like welcome and to statistics. Like that's just what people do. Like a lot of people who do quote unquote statistics will just try and find ways of making information look like the narrative they want it to look like. And with enough That's, with enough munging and moving things like that, you can you can do that with anything. Yeah, but you don't have to put things that aren't graphed on the same graph together. 
you can probably find that in enough data in just one like looking just at Bitcoin dominance, he probably could have found enough statistics to fit his narrative. But graphing different things that don't belong on the same line on the same graph is like it's weird to me. It's just really weird. I don't know. So I was just like, you know, you're misleading there. But of course he doesn't answer me. Because he's there. So that's that. Cool. Same shit, different day. Yeah, it's just. Eh. Anyways. What's on y'all's mind? What's what happened outside of, of anything interesting happened to y'all this week in terms of the crypto community? Any, any interviews that struck you that opened up some, some light because you talked to so many people? Mm. You go first, Joe. Um, I don't know. Like I, I joined just the headers this week. And when you join just the headers, you kind of get, you kind of drink from the fire hose and you get all of the week's news in, in an hour. And, um, I gotta say there wasn't really too many on fire topics. There were just, there was a lot of like, uh, this again, you know, a lot of lulls. I'm not saying it was a boring episode, but the headlines was just, there wasn't anything really amazing this week. Yeah, there really wasn't too much exciting stuff in the headlines. Um, I had an interview uh, with Clay Collins from The Flippening, which was really good. Um, I don't know know if any of you guys in the audience watch his show, The Flippening. He's currently got a three-part documentary going on about uh, tokenization of securities. Um, That's really good. Um... That talk was really good. We just kind of talked about like the bear market and kind of the emotions you go through and, um, you know, what securitization, what tokenization securitization could allow for and why it should be a no brainer. This is a good talk. Yeah. I think it should be a no brainer. I mean, he put it really clearly. He was like, you know, why shouldn't I be able if there if the technology exists for me to have stock in a company and I don't want it anymore, but my neighbor has always wanted it. And he's like, hey, you have the stock. And I'm like, yeah, I got it right here. He's like, oh, I'll pay you this much for it. And you're like, oh, cool. Here you go. And so he's like, you really couldn't do that before. You couldn't just say, oh, I've got this stuff. I've got these pieces of paper, you know, just give it to the guy over there. Because there was too much fraud that could go down. But now when you have a blockchain and you have somewhere to record where it's changing hands, then, Corey, if I have stock and like Facebook and I don't want it anymore and you want it, and you give me a price that's more than I paid for it, I should be just be able to hand it to you. Yeah. And here you go. Here's the stock. I don't want this anymore. <clears throat> and now using crypto, you, you can do that. Yeah, I feel like that's the natural. That's 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 what that's why the financial industry is so excited about this is because it allows them to rebuild how they work to do the things that they should have been able to do a long time ago more efficiently. There's a reason why, like, for the past years, it's always been like this is going to disrupt the financial industry and rebuild everything and change the way Wall Street works and all. It's it's true because it does stuff like that. Just going to take a little while before it's robust enough to be able to handle the volume they go through. Yeah, that's one thing. It's also going to take a little while for them to understand, like, 
oh, like the only way to benefit from this is to participate in it. You don't just build your own. Yeah, it's definitely a, a common, like a, a shared ledger amongst everybody, which is what gives it a lot of its um, fairness properties. I mean, having having a blockchain shared between three people doesn't do much. It's, nope. a, it's about that's about that openness that gives it the security properties that you want for. Sorry, got a new dog and he likes to bark and growl at everything. In the oh, you're the one that's got you got an addition to the family this week. Yeah. What's his name yet? Do you name him yet? Yeah, we named him Roscoe. Dude, I know too many dogs named Roscoe now. How do you have sister's dog named Roscoe? Really? We just yeah, my sister's dog's name is Roscoe. Um, someone I knew, someone I know, her dog's named Roscoe. And now Roscoe, you're Roscoe. No, no, I'm never going to see them, so I'm sticking with it. Anyway, uh, Roscoe's chicken and waffles. That's all I can think of every <laughs> single time. It's a good name. What about you, man? How was your week? <clears throat> um, I'm negotiating moving companies, things like that. Okay. So it's been it's been an interesting life week. stuff. <clears throat> Bunch of life stuff. Got some. I always know you're doing life stuff because you're not talking in the Slack. Yeah, it's been that's a pretty life month. Yeah, that's a pretty um concrete correlation there for you listeners if Corey's not talking in slack he's doing life stuff yeah that's, that's it that's the bottom line i like the Love uh you. i like the hashing it out episode we put out with um with lewis bruchet i think his last name is bruchet like bobby bruchet like bruchet Bru oh b-r-u-t-s-c-h-e oh sorry it's logan my mama my mama said um, yeah, we uh like it's about he's doing an academy on crypto primitives, which are basically like the smallest encapsulated relationship you can have in like a blockchain ecosystem. So smart contracts that do a single thing based on game theory and stuff, how to make them and then uh, build things on top of them and give interfaces to them and things like that. So I've been enjoying all the work that he's doing, trying to build out this like community of trying to build these things called crypto primitives crypto economic primitives for the full name and uh yeah i think that's that's it's going to be one of those like i don't know uh probably types of things that can gain a lot of traction because once you have really well vetted crypto economic primitives built into blockchain ecosystems and the smart contracts that run them you don't have to worry about the security implementation. Like, say, if you want to build something that includes that type of relationship or primitive, you don't have to worry about that relationship because it's been—it's like a standard, right? It creates more standards on how things work, how they operate, and it gives you a lot more confidence in that specific type of relationship. You don't have to worry about implementing yourself and screwing up because there's been a bunch of research that tells you how to do it already. Mm -hmm. And you can do a bunch more of that, stuff right? like that. Yeah. I, I like I like that stuff because it pushes the whole space forward and uh, an understanding on how things work and how to build things securely and properly, which is just something you need in general. But uh, catch yeah. me up. Yeah. What's yeah. the topic? Topic is crypto economic primitives and why yeah. they're useful. But uh, I basically just said I enjoyed the episode we did and hashing it out. So if anyone cares to hear about that stuff, go listen to it. Right on. My in unrelated news, I'm I'm potty trading my daughter, so she 
told me she had to go potty, so I had to run out. Yeah, buddy. big, big moment. Ooh, congratulations, Dad! Oh, that just happened live. Well, I was muted, but yeah, it was muted oh. live. Congrats! <laughs> yeah, um, you are normal people. <laughs> normal people. Um, I did want to talk about something real quick. Uh, it might tie into that, but entrepreneur.com posted um, how the how the cryptocurrency job market is exploding, um, and they're saying like. You know, they just broke it down in the stats, like, you know, 70% of all cryptocurrency jobs are technical. So you have to be either a tech writer or a business developer. And then they like they added like the median salary, like say if you're a full stack developer, plan to make about $88,000. If you're a, a blockchain engineer, plan to make $79,000. Seems kind of low. I'm getting way overpaid. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're saying that uh, 29% of all crypto jobs are in California. 15% are where Corey lives. 15, the other 15% is where me and D live. So they just kind of break it down. Like, uh, so if you're interested in getting into this, uh, this job market, there's a lot of good information. Where is this? Entrepreneur.com. Oh, entrepreneur. I put entrepreneurs. Uh, I think it's like the magazine. I think it's tied to the magazine. Cool. Um, and I even, I, I guess you can be a meme specialist and you make $48,000 being a meme specialist. That seems dumb. But all right. Yes. So I guess there's some crypto companies that are hiring community managers to promote their brand by creating memes. So that yeah. that's a job. Memes work nowadays. So I'm not gonna it's say like it's memes are commercials. Maybe that's a good memes way to put it. Are... Like the commercials for like the internet. Yeah. Because it's like the best commercials make you feel good. Memes make you laugh, and then you click on the thing, and it's like what. I'm being sold something? When did this happen? That's the new memes or commercials. I never think that, like, when I see a crypto meme that someone's getting paid to create that, and then there's oh, an agenda yeah. behind it. So that's interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. Russia literally just proved that memes work on people. So now they're going to be everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting to see the new ways you market on the internet, and like because it's it, even though the internet's been around for a while, we're still figuring out new ways of using it. Still, right? We're still figuring out like what's mm -hmm. the what's the best way to feed marketing information to citizens of the internet because like younger kids only only like only, basically just just live on the internet. That's where they consume everything. So how do you market? <laughs> how do you market to them? Because traditional marketing doesn't quite work anymore for those types of people. And if you want to include them, if they're part of your demographic, you have to find new ways of reaching them the way they would like to be reached as opposed to like, not your grandma's marketing. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's just memes work on young people and that's it. So I'm not surprised. You have to have to know how to make memes to be a community manager in crypto. That is the funniest shit. I don't know. I'm, we're, we're community managers. We don't. Neither none of us make memes. Maybe Cello. We make audible memes, like a general purpose person. Uh, oh, making a regular ass PB and J sandwich ass <laughs> motherfucker that just. <laughs> Whatever happened to Pab? We stopped using Pab. <laughs> Yeah, we did stop using Pab because it was so rude. We yeah. well, we also made those Q memes. Remember, like 
D staring off in the distance, stroking his chin. And it was like, if a tree falls in the woods. But that was more of an inside joke between us three than anything else. So I became that's, that's usually how they start. Thousands of people. Like that, what was it? That guy walking with the girl and he looks back at the other girl. Like, I think all memes start as inside jokes, but then they catch fire. Yeah, that's true. Um, we should get to Corey's talking point now. Yeah, all right. sure. Uh, it wasn't really much of a talking point, more along the lines of like a. It's it's occurred to me over the past, I don't know, week or so, or at least more than it used to occur to me that like I now take for granted certain concepts in this space as like public knowledge that aren't public knowledge that like aren't intuitive to the average person in the space or the new, especially the new person in the space on how things work, best practices, security dues, like just you know what I mean, like because they don't. Most people don't have a firm understanding of how things work, even from like a core concept of private key to public key to address and the interaction of those things. And like maybe like how a seed phrase interacts with those things and like how you create new addresses from a seed phrase and the interaction between different addresses from the same seed phrase, like things like that, that are obvious to me because I know how like technically how those things are created and how they work with each other. Like the stuff around them isn't obvious on how you store your money, where you keep your money, how to keep things safe. Like what, what part of all of those different things is the thing that you actually need to keep safe and then how to keep that safe. So like security stuff. And like, I was like, I don't know anymore off the top of my head, like what's the best thing to look at, to try and explain, to help people like what's the most bang for the buck. If I were to write something or talk about something that would help people understand more about how to be a better crypto citizen for themselves so that they don't do stupid shit. Like the obvious stuff, like don't keep your money on exchanges or Mm -hmm. don't keep all of your money on exchanges or don't keep all of your money in a single spot. Like, like, what is it? What do you think it is? What, What could I explain that would help people the most? Or like, how can we as a podcast continuously educate people. And this is a conversation in the Slack a couple of days ago. And we, we're, we have some type of endeavor in the background that we're working on to try and create a series that does this. Well, like, should we just include it as a part of the show sometimes too? Like snippets of like, like public not, service announcements like GPP? G.I. Joe in like Captain Planet? Yeah, like don't be a GPP. Like this is... I always feel like people have to touch the hot stove before they learn. Um, you, know I mean? you can probably tell people not to touch the hot stove. Like, you don't have to get a third degree burn to learn. I feel like you do. Like, I, how many people are reading those ten screens on my crypto? I bet you not everybody, and I bet you the majority isn't. But I bet you if they lose all of their money, I guarantee you they're going to go back and read all those screens very carefully. Yeah, but yeah, like, geez. what about that? What about that thing where? If you just keep hearing the same message over and over and over and over again, wherever you go, it becomes just something that you know, right? Like if if, if every episode we do stoop something like, you know, oh yeah, don't do this. Even if they didn't want to listen or that they would be the type of person to click through screens, that then just gets ingrained in their mind of like, this is common knowledge on what not to do. I will do this only if we can have the same music that played on the G.I. Joe PSAs at the end of G.I. Joe. 
you're the you're the you're the mixtape master. I don't you you do that shit. <laughs> Did you have you guys ever gone back and watched those PSAs? That's a weird question because I don't know what whatever gets you to a point where you need to go watch old episodes of G.I. Joe. Like me. But <laughs> they're really funny. The answer Terrible. to that question is no. We have not <laughs> gone back and looked at that. Um I, I still yeah. don't think we've mastered the the art of of how to tell people things and get their attention. I still think in in this space it has to happen to them first before they like where the message is really hammered home. Um, we'll do it right now. Let's okay. get real serious. All right, audience, we have to tell you something that's super serious. Um, don't keep your money on a crypto exchange. Cripsy, Mt. Gox, BitHum, BitHive, these are all casualties of hackers in the crypto world. And you don't want to be a part of that. You don't want to be a casualty. Empower yourself. Don't keep your money on an exchange. Get better about transferring money and doing what you want with that money at a moment's notice instead of having to keep your money on an exchange. This well, message. Like, I mean, that's a good message, but I mean, we tell people like, "Hey, you should you should use Coinbase because it's it's like a great entry barrier." And then once they get a hold of Coinbase, we have to say, "Oh, well, you don't don't leave your money on Coinbase." And then they're like, "What?" Well, Coinbase is insured. Coinbase is insured, though. Yeah. Yeah. But I oh, you're just using fun. Coinbase as an example. Of an exchange, yeah. yeah. They're still vulnerable to the same hacks, yeah. you know, as long as you don't have your keys. Okay, okay. Let's do it better. It's a good point. It's a good point. Everyone listen. This is very serious. Buy a hardware wallet. It's really weird to own possibly thousands of dollars in cryptocurrency, but not be willing to shell out a couple hundred for a hardware wallet. That's like having thousands of dollars in video games and not having a PlayStation. Not really. Not really the same not really the same <laughs> terrible analogy. At all. you can do better but it's, it's it's like having piles of gold in your in your place without putting it into a piggy bank you just safe maybe like a safe no, no, not, not a piggy bank the safe is much better piles of the, gold uh, i don't think piles of gold are going to fit into a piggy bank i don't know what kind of piggy banks you've been using <laughs> i'd love to walk into somebody's house like, why do you have piles of gold laying around so oh, like, oh, trying to get a I big enough it. piggy bank. Just trying to get a big enough piggy bank. I haven't gotten one yeah. yet. Piggy banks are only so big. And I can't fit the well, gold remember, in when it. You, remember when you went to Blockbuster and they always asked you, hey, do you want to buy the insurance? And everyone said no. Well, maybe you should say yes this time. There you go. No, just the, the, the basic principle is uh, if you don't own the keys, it's not your crypto. Yeah. Another security point that came up in the Slack is don't use Pornhub on the same machine that you store crypto on. Yeah, we don't <laughs> we don't have the luxury of having your own porn computer. So yeah, who has their own porn computer? That's what I want to know. Like, does that happen naturally, or is that like a conscious decision? You're up on a Saturday late afternoon, and you're like, you know what? I gotta go to Best Buy and go grab my porn laptop. I <laughs> You know, spend a month list of things to do. 
This is the laptop where if like malware and viruses get on it, it's cool because it's just my porn computer. Yeah. That's the weird, that's, awkward that's, moment. Like your friend comes over, he's like, ah, oh, man, can I do something real quick? Let me use your laptop. And you're like, no, 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 no. Don't touch that laptop. <laughs> you can't. You can't touch that laptop. Um, yeah, don't watch porn on a computer you store your crypto on because um, I regret to inform you, porn will ruin your computer. What if you're using crypto to look at porn? Well, what is what is what is what does that have to do with crypto, right? Like, is it's it, security, is it, is right? It, yeah, but is it because you you're keeping your private keys in your laptop? Yeah, yeah. Like, don't don't watch porn on the same system you keep have your private keys stored on. All right, if you're keeping your private keys stored on a computer or a laptop, and that's the only place where it is. I mean, that's another like security advice thing is that if you have your keys stored at a single place back them up because if you that that's a that's a single point of failure right if all of your keys are only exist in a single place then just your security is as secure as that place and if that's vulnerable to attack or uh like even just like spilling coffee on your computer and ruining a hard drive or something like anything that can happen to that computer can ruin all of the money associated with the keys on that computer and it's very easy to back something up and put it in a safe place like mm-hmm. put it on a thumb drive or a couple thumb drives and put them, give one to your, someone you trust, like a, like a family member or put it in a safe, but it's like use, use a traditional bank and a, in a, in a safety deposit box. Like the safety deposit mm-hmm. boxes are in massive vaults and that's a good place that's to a, put things. Yeah. If it's enough money where that's a reasonable thing to do. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of be a dick about it too at the bank. They're like, hey, I need a safety deposit box. And they're going to go, why, sir? Some jewelry? Did you find jewelry? And they're going to go, no, I've got a bunch of Bitcoin what on this of, code. What kind of bank are you going to? <laughs> Where they're just like, did you find some jewelry? Man, I live, sometimes <laughs> I live in a fantastic world, okay? You sure just do. Deal with it. <laughs> you sure <laughs> like, do. Like, I'm, I'm, I've known you for a long time, and I'm still continuously amazed at like the shit that comes out of your mouth sometimes. <laughs> Well, what or else like, is like, the bank gonna like, say? Like, is that like you paint the worldview that your eyes see? I'm like, where do you live? Like, what are you doing? I'll give you a pretty good breakdown of where I live. You know the scene in Roger Rabbit when he busts through the wall and he goes into Toon Land? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot. It's like that over here in D Land sometimes. It's like yeah. so. I go, you go to the bank and they're like, "You would you like? Do you have some jewelry?" And you're like, "No. Here's my uh, here's my Bitcoin code." I've actually got a ton of Bitcoin on here that I need you to help me keep safe. And I'm like, oh, we don't keep Bitcoin safe. You're like, there's a lot I need to, un- I need to teach you, bank. Anyways, that's how that conversation will go. Yeah, store store your private key in its the deposit box. And that's part of like what a ledger, like why a ledger is good. And something I think another like little snippet of security advice is say you have a ledger, a treasure, a hardware wallet of some sort safe key. I think that's one of them, whatever. It doesn't matter. If you have one, typically when you start it up, they give you a 12 to 24 word seed phrase of a bunch of random words strung together. And they say, keep that safe. Um, so that, that way, if you lose your hardware wallet, you can then restore all of the keys on a different hardware wallet using that same seed phrase. 
or if you have to reset the firmware, you have to then reinitialize it with that seed phrase to then restore all those public and private keys and addresses. Now, if you load that seed phrase onto a different device at the same time as the hardware wallet, then those keys are no longer only stored on the hardware wallet. They're in both places, which means that mm -hmm. you've doubled the attack surface of people who can get access to those keys. Like part of the reason why hardware wallets are good is because this, that the actual keys that sign messages and stuff never leave the hardware device. They never get exposure to the internet, things like that. So if you like then load that seed phrase into like a MetaMask or something, you've nullified all of the security guarantees of the hardware wallet by exposing them to a hot wallet or a, wherever you load it. Mm -hmm. So they still work in both places, but the chances of people getting access to them is greatly increased because they're no longer in a single place that's secured by a hardware device. Mm -hmm. I think the, the, the stuff that we're talking about now is kind of the reason adoption is so slow. Yeah, that's, that, that's, this is, these are user experience issues that are really hard to get around because that's the way you use these types of systems. If you're now responsible for your, your data and the money associated with that data, because private keys and public keys is just data. It's just strings of, you know, zero and ones and stuff. It's just, it, it is associated with a certain amount of value in which how that key unlocks coins on a blockchain. So if you're trying to keep that stuff safe and you're responsible for it now, because you have to own and store those keys, then you have to learn some new shit, which is a slow process because you're not, you're not giving someone else the responsibility to take care of it. And if something goes wrong, you just say, Hey, you know, reset my password or like, give me back that key or make that, make that charge back because you had all that data and you were responsible for it. Now it's like, oh shit, I have to think about how to properly take care of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I think the natural value is going to go, the natural value is going to be to the people that make that convenient and the people that are coming up with all these like personal, personal key management systems. Yeah. Because people just aren't, when it comes to like humans, like going backwards and how they do something, that's, that's just not going to happen. You know, I feel that's just not going to happen. People like very responsible, awesome people that I know still like they forget their freaking Coinbase password or they forget like, um, they forget the steps to using their hardware wallet or something. And like, I had to send them the, the thing. And luckily I'm harped on such a, a strong point of like, take that 24 word seed phrase and write it down several places and back it up and then keep it safe. So you don't lose it. So what I do typically when I like honor up a family member or a friend and I, I, I run them through getting something that's maybe outside of Coinbase is I keep a copy of the wallet and phrase that I give them. I let them know that I do this and explain like the, the, the details around it. So that mm. if something, when they screw up, they're not screwed so that they can kind of burn themselves. Like Cello said, they need to do, and I can fix it if, if, if I need to. And then I say, when you're comfortable with this, when you're more comfortable with handling this type of stuff and you understand the implications of losing your password and like how to store stuff so securely, I will delete this so that I no longer have access to it because I know that my, my, my like 
security protocols, if you will, are safe. And that I'm not probably, I, I'm less likely to be hacked than, than they are. I'm not going to say, yeah. I'm not going to say I can't get hacked because that's a, that's one of the dumbest things you can say on the internet, but I'm less likely to be hacked because it's much more difficult for someone to get access to my, my things than it is someone who's naive and does the stupid shit. Mm -hmm. And create a password table. Mm, those bother me. Those why? Bother, because it's a central place with all your passwords. Like, what do you mean? Why? No. Keep it up in your brain. Guys, right. we got to move the interview. All right. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, introduce him. Do you think? Yeah, I wanted to talk about something, too, because we didn't get a chance to talk to Jimmy Song about this, but he told Joe Lubin that blockchain tech won't be around in five years. And he's wrong. Kind of weird. It's just wrong. It's just, it's just, it's just, yeah. it's just clearly wrong. Like, <laughs> for someone to say that with confidence is so arrogant. Yeah, yeah, he's wrong about that. What does he, he mean can. by that? What does he mean by blockchain tech won't be around in five years? He said they won't have significant users in five years. He can rephrase that. Like ninety-seven percent of the people that are creating these. Um, little micro networks on either won't be around. Yeah, I disagree. Well, that's the best way to introduce a, a guest. It's an interesting interview, yeah. and I, I don't agree with a lot of the things that he says, but he's definitely, he understands Bitcoin really, really, really well, as well yeah. as um, a lot of other things. I think he just has strong opinions on where he thinks the space will go that I disagree with, so... And we, we kind of right. go through that a little bit in the in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess without further ado, Jimmy Song is a, if you're unfamiliar, he's a uh, Bitcoin developer, author, and a, he's actually a venture partner at Blockchain Capital. Uh, and he, he's been on our show before, and he was nice enough to come back on again. Yep. Here it is. All right, we are here today with today's guest, uh, Mr. Jimmy Song. Last time we had Jimmy was back on in September when the first cross-chain atomic swaps happened, to give you guys a bit of a timeline. And we thought it was time for him to come back on and kind of give his thoughts on the crazy landscape since then, because there's a lot of wasted effort due to greed in the space. So, you know, you're making headway on programming Bitcoin, you're helping people contribute to Bitcoin as developer, which you can visit at programmingblockchain.com. Bitcoin educator, developer, and entrepreneur, Mr. Jimmy Song, you're definitely staying busy. Thank you for joining us. How are things with you? Oh, things are great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a really crazy, I don't know, I guess it's been nine months since I've been on the show, something like that. But yeah, mm -hmm. the last nine months have been the craziest of my life, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I love the space, and I love the freedom of uh, being able to be my own boss and things like that. I, I'm sure you guys are all familiar with with that and, uh, you know, having your own stuff. Um, that that to me is just uh, absolutely priceless. Yeah. Uh, if, if Corey and D don't mind, I wanted to start with some low-hanging fruit because mm -hmm. you write so much content, you teach so much information. 
And I wanted to start off this interview getting your thoughts on that cryptocurrency explain doc that hit Netflix last week. Did, did you watch that? No, I don't have Netflix, and I've actually cut out uh, movies from my life along with TV, sports, and news, and other things uh, because I want to concentrate on Bitcoin, and I just don't have time. So, uh, oh, but I, I didn't catch that at all. Yeah. Well, they said things like you know Satoshi invented the blockchain, all mm -hmm. cryptocurrencies do blockchain, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as someone that tries to get correct information out there, you know, it, it has to be kind of frustrating. So it's kind of good that you kind of block out all the all the noise and just okay. concentrate. Yeah, yeah, via negativa works pretty well. But, yeah, I, I would say um, actually I, I, I think the earliest something earliest thing that could be kind of called a blockchain is Git. Um, it, it, and it's clear if you look at how Git works and how blockchains work, or at least the Bitcoin blockchain works, that it it took a lot of inspiration from Git and how uh, you know a Git uh, commit points back to a previous commit, and it has you know it, it has metadata about the commit and things like that. It's it's uh, it's actually uh, you know quite inspired actually. Uh, the only difference is that Git can have merges and go branch off and all of all that stuff. Um, but with Bitcoin, it's just a single link list that 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 would be the difference to me. Um, and uh, I, I so I don't know if Satoshi necessarily invented the blockchain, if you think of it that way. But I mean, that's that's OK. That's not a terrible statement or a horrible twist of the truth or anything. I like to maybe restructure kind of what the what the discussion is based on like i think the nomenclature is bad because we mm. use the term blockchain for so much when it means so little in my opinion yeah. uh, we have like if i i think the entire space can be summarized summarized as merkelizing shit and then agreeing on it and mm. and so we the blockchain like in its most i guess general form is just interesting ways of merkelizing data that references it so that it gives you like a succinct or small amount of information that you can pass around a network for people to agree on. And then how you come to agree on that thing ends up being your consensus mechanism. And that is where the majority of the, I guess, um, false statements come from is the fairness of that agreement mechanism. How, how, how much do you agree with that summarization? Uh, pre that's pretty accurate. I would say that the reason why you can agree on this shared reality is because we have an objective standard. And at a deep level, that goes back to proof of work. And proof of work is essentially a very rare mathematical thing that you can go and find. And it's n nice and uniformly distributed. So there's no like advantage like it, there is with gold mining. You know, there's gold in this area. So you dig a little more in there with proof of work, it's uniformly distributed. So you can go and find it where uh, at, at almost any place. And that that's that objective standard is what gives uh, Bitcoin the solution to the Byzantine generals problem, uh, which is really one of social coordination. How do you how can you coordinate uh, this giant ledger that we call the blockchain? Uh, how do you make sure that you know, all of it is in sync for everybody. Well, it's it's through proof of work. And at a deep level, that's that's what makes it work. It's an objective standard. And so you'd say, I mean, based on reading a lot of your material, you'd say that proof of work is the only thing that works, which I agree with. It is the only thing that currently works. I mean, proof of stake was mm. around before 
proof of work mm -hmm. and proof of work made it because proof of stake couldn't at the time. Does that mean mm -hmm. that you feel that proof of stake can never work? Because it's, it's a very difficult problem to solve. Is there a fundamental yeah, I, problem that makes it not be able to work in the future? Well, the, at, a, at a fundamental level, proof of stake is more or less subjective, right? Um, and that's what makes it not work, at least in my opinion. If you have something subjective, then you, you have some centralizing force. Once you have a centralizing force um, and governance and all that stuff, uh, it's, it's, no, it's, it's not really that interesting. It's not objective. And part of what makes Bitcoin so interesting is that it's decentralized digital scarcity. We didn't really think that was possible before. There were lots of other ways in which you could get digital scarcity by itself, but it, it required a central party. I mean, there, there was a startup back in the 90s called um, Flues. You know, they were, they were supposed to be the money for the Internet and they issued Flues tokens and people were supposed to go and buy uh, items uh, from the web using flus tokens. Um, that didn't work, uh, but I mean, that's more or less the idea that a lot of these other coins have is that, okay, well, we're the central entity issuing these tokens. If we could just get everyone to use it, our token will be really valuable. Um, and again, that's not that interesting, right? Like it's uh, any, almost anyone can do that. That's what the US government in effect does. Uh, what's really interesting is something that's actually decentralized, has an objective standard. It's uh, it's gold versus beanie babies, right? Like gold is interesting because it occurs in nature. It's actually rare. There's actual scarcity and it's not artificial. It's natural. And with proof of work, you have natural scarcity. It is extremely difficult to find with something like proof of stake or proof of space and time or proof of whatever. All of those things are artificial scarcity with some sort of centralized party that's that's the big difference for me and that's that's why bitcoin is interesting where a lot of these other projects are not i would so i'd like to um jump ahead. in and ask uh sorry Corey. Oh, go ahead. i just want to jump in and ask so i think last since last time you come on the show we've had the split with mm. bitcoin and now we have uh bitcoin red versus blue going on every day <laughs> And and since you work so intimately with Bitcoin, which I guess which scaling plan do you think is best in your opinion moving forward? Because I think everyone can agree that Bitcoin can't support mass adoption in its current state. I mean, it's nowhere near it. And so it's got to scale. Uh, which route do you think is best or or do you think that they're both equally as good? I don't know. Just what, what are your opinions on that? Well, I, I um, so looking back at the scaling debate, you had, uh, you know, larger blocks or some sort of second layer. And uh, and the thing that really rankles me looking back is that larger blocks are extremely convenient for businesses. So if you are Zappo, if you are Coinbase, if you are blockchain.info or purse.io or whoever you are, it's extremely easy to just upgrade the software and construct the transactions as you have been, had been. And it's very easy to, um, basically it's the equivalent of widening the road a little bit, right? Like, and, and saying, okay, mm -hmm. well, uh, well, uh, you know, it doesn't cost me anything, but I'll get all of the benefits out of it. If you think about block space as a shared public resource, this is the business 
that's got 85 trucks that are constantly on the highway lobbying for more highway space because they don't have to build new vehicles or anything like that. Uh, whereas with SegWit, it's a lot more scalable. You you can have stuff like Lightning, and you, instead of roads, you can use helicopters or something like that. That's and you know, but in a more efficient way, or mass transit, or whatever. Um, and it's a different type of system. So for the businesses, they would have had to upgrade their systems significantly because uh, in order to create those transactions, it's not trivial. You have to go in and uh, refactor a lot of code. A lot of these companies have been around three, four years. And if you've worked as a software developer, you know how much uh, code rot sends in when you have something that's been there for three or four years. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these businesses, to me, they were just being really lazy. They didn't want to have the capital (laughs) investment of you know, adding SegWit transactions to all of their stuff. And you got to remember, most of the blocks are taken up by these businesses. 90, 95% of block space is taken up by exchanges or uh, you know, merchants or whatever. And, and if they optimize even a little bit, then you know, like, uh, a lot of the block space is freed. And we saw that um, because you know, like in December, Coinbase and blockchain.info and all of these places started using like batch transactions and SegWit and so on. And suddenly like the mempool disappeared, right? Like it, it, it went from like hundreds of megabytes to like zero almost like in a couple of weeks because they implemented this stuff. So for me, um, it, it was the the direction that the businesses that wanted us to go in. And I'm, I'm talking specifically about the people that signed the New York agreement and they were mostly businesses. Uh, was very short-sighted. They wanted immediate relief. They wanted to widen the roads just by just a little bit so that they can get more vehicles through or, their, in our case, uh, transactions through without having to do any of the hard work. And what the users, I think, were saying was, hey, you know what? Like, you need to take your share. Like, you don't, you don't get a free ride. If, uh, you know, we, we want to scale this thing over 10 or 20 years and not six months. Uh, and, you know, like that, that uh, is what ended up winning. Uh, and I think that's, that's the direction to go in is to scale like 10,000 or 100,000 times instead of like two to 10 times. I mean, you could scale two to 10 times. Like, don't get me wrong. I think, I think the network can handle two megabyte blocks, five megabyte blocks, 10 megabyte blocks, whatever. Um, but that's not going to, like you said, that's not going to get you uh, to the point that you really need to be. And you got to remember, mm-hmm. like uh, transactions on the blockchain are horribly inefficient. Everyone has to know about it. Everyone has to include it into their ledger. Uh, with something like Lightning, uh, only the people that are involved know about it. And and you you just update the the payment channel transaction and and that's it's no one else's business. If you're going and buying, uh, you know, nipple rings from eBay or something like that, nobody has to know about it, you know, like in, instead of, you know, everybody being able to trace that, oh, this person bought nipple rings. How embarrassing. Ha ha ha. It's, uh, it's very, it, it, it adds a layer of all, all sorts of other things in addition to the transaction throughput. So for me, uh, you know, going in the direction that's much more long-term focus is the right way to go. And that's 
what I think the Bitcoin, uh, you know, the original Bitcoin and not Bitcoin Cash has uh, has is going towards. Mm-hmm. I would say um, two things there. One is like I wouldn't call the businesses who didn't implement things lazy. At least since for some of the some of the cases, they were just perpetually putting out fires because of this irrational exuberance that we we experienced over the past six months. And now that the price has come down quite a bit, all the, a lot of that has given away, which gives people time to actually implement changes and increase the efficiency of their system so they can be better prepared for whenever that next adoption wave occurs. And it almost seems like, I guess, based on what you said, Bitcoin Cash's adoption, like the scaling solution of just increasing the block size and that perpetually being the way you do it is just like a method of laziness. Like it, it mm-hmm. like it's just we don't need to change the way we do things because this is the simplest solution for doing something and we haven't experienced the problem yet. It's not thinking forward enough when we're going to need helicopters and all different ways of transportation. It's like the guy who increasingly just puts more roads in his sim city and later on down the line when he has a big city, he has always has a perpetual traffic problem. Mm. Yeah, something like that. I, I would say that the businesses weren't like lazy in the sense that they weren't uh, doing lots of stuff. Of course, they were putting out fires and things like that. I, I mean, more lazy in the sense that they were unwilling to uh, or they wanted free free stuff. Right. And this is yeah. true of lots of businesses in America or uh, you know, around the world today. They they go to the government, give us free stuff or do stuff that's very advantageous to us, uh, screw whoever else is in it. They don't put it exactly in those terms, but that's the idea. Um, you know, that, that to me is extremely, um, I don't know. It's, it's something that should be despised, right? Like this is a community and you are sucking resources from the community without wanting to give anything back. And that, that, that's not an attitude that I want to hear from these guys. And that's not an attitude that's going to get any of my sympathy. Uh, but that's more or less what they wanted out of the New York agreement. Now, as far as Bitcoin Cash and, uh, you know, their their approach, I, w- I would say that that's accurate. They they um, they want to continue with something that they feel safe with. The only problem there is that you are forcing everyone to upgrade and it's it, then it becomes involuntary. Once you force everyone to upgrade, then you have a centralizing force. And it, like decentralization is, is in many ways kind of fragile. You add anything centralized and then it's, uh, you know, it's no longer decentralized. Like if there's a single point of failure anywhere, it's done for. Uh, it's no longer decentralized, no longer interesting. So to me, they threw out the, I mean, they, they wanted to keep the, you know, uh, the transactions as they were, but they also in the process killed the baby. Um, and that's that's not really that interesting anymore. Once once you give up the decentralized nature, it's uh, it, it kills the main value proposition to me. And, you know, it's uh, yeah, that that that's why I think it's kind of a stupid way to do things. How do you uh, how do you feel about these new People are trying to build stratifications of decentralization now. I think yesterday I got my first glimpse of it. There's like egalitarian decentralization. 
pseudo decentralization. Um, do you think that's gimmicky, or do you see that it has some merit? Because, I mean, scaling is tough, and there could be this, like Corey, like you say, this uh, this dance between centralization and decentralization. Let me, I guess, um, let me, let me, let me frame it with what I what I talked about in that talk at the Texas Bitcoin conference. It's like we first we had um, complete centralization because that's the way the internet worked. You didn't have a choice. So anything that we built on top of the internet by default was centralized. And then we, and then we tried to figure out a way to take the trust out of those systems and decentralize them. So we built and, and completely decentralized systems and blockchain was one of the first ones that worked really well. If you can argue like BitTorrent, things like that, but um, blockchain was the first time or Bitcoin and its implementation of blockchain was the first time you could actually do digital scarcity in a decentralized way, like you just said. And that's really good for certain types of applications, but terrible for other types of applications, depending on who's using it and how much they trust each other. And so in reality, in my opinion, in the future, there's going to be, you now have the option to build your application anywhere in between there, depending on who your users are and how much you trust them and what they should be and how they should be interacting, as opposed to pigeonholing your application on a given platform, be it completely centralized or completely decentralized. Now, complete decentralization only works for certain things like money, but Centralization makes sense in a lot of other scenarios. So picking and choosing how you do that is somewhere in that gray area in between complete centralization and complete decentralization. And I think that's where the future of all the stuff is going, is picking aspects of this technology and using them where they're appropriate. Yeah, I, I would say that's accurate. Uh, there's centralization and decentralization. But to me, there's no gradient in between. You either have a single failure, single point of failure or you don't. And, uh, you know, maybe you have more single points of failure versus not, but they all are, in a sense, centralized because the government can regulate it. They can come in and choke that one single point of failure. This is why banks suck, because they can come in and say, <laughs> OK, we're going to seize your money and you can't do anything about it. Uh, whereas with Bitcoin, they can't do that. Right. They can't. There's no central place to go. But if you have Ethereum, they can go to Vitalik and say, OK, we want you to seize this or change the rules so that, uh, you know, all this money that we think are drug related or used for child porn or used for terrorism or whatever, uh, you know, we, we want to seize that. Well, they, they probably can. They, the, you know, like they might even say, OK, Vitalik, if you don't do this, then we are going to, you know, throw you in prison. And of course, he's going to be like, OK, well, it's not worth my life. So I'm going to like advocate for this fork uh, where, you know, all this money goes to the government instead of these people that we think are bad. I mean, th this is uh, if you have a single point of failure anywhere in the system, you are centralized by definition. If you don't, then you're decentralized. Now, like there could be maybe more more single points of failure, in which case you are more and more fragile. Uh, but that's what it really comes down to. And and to me, almost everything is every everything other than Bitcoin is centralized. Bitcoin is the one thing that's interesting because it's actually decentralized. And mm -hmm. and part of that is because Satoshi disappeared. Right. Like almost every other thing has 
a founder that gets the say and they, they can do whatever the hell they want, whether it's bailing out bad choices or, you know, uh, you know, giving themselves uh, some some of the money or whatever, uh, all sorts of shady stuff. But they 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 have that power to do that. But Satoshi, by disappearing, has essentially taken out that one last single point of failure that was him. And to me, that's that's what makes Bitcoin interesting. Everything else, not really. Well, when did, there's, there's when did it disappear? He used to do things like what you said in the early, early, early days, but there wasn't a big enough community to have this type of backlash like we would have now. When, when yeah, so small, I mean, back, I, I fully admit it used to be centralized, um, at least when Satoshi was around, and you know, he he did a hard fork, I think, in 2010, and uh, you know, but. After he's left, it's been decentralized, and that's the key. It's it's a decentralized, uh, you know, currency, and that's that's the most interesting thing about it. If it was centralized, it's not that interesting. It's no different than American airline miles or whatever. Um, but for for Bitcoin, that's that's the one interesting thing, and that's mm. that's why I think a lot of people value it. Mm-hmm. Well, you had a you had an interesting stance where you said that all these enterprise blockchain projects are going to lose traction and dry up in mm-hmm. in inevitable fashion, of course, which will then lead people to the obvious conclusion that an investment in good old Bitcoin is where people should have been focusing and putting their money into. Do you feel like it's a waste of time from an investment standpoint, or people are putting their efforts into various companies that are trying to decentralize things that don't need to be decentralized, like voting or ride sharing or healthcare or esports you name it etc yeah so there there's a, a multiple things in that question that i want to address so first of all enterprise blockchains that the, these are talking about private blockchains i haven't seen a single one that solves any problem and from a business standpoint it, you you have to have it be centralized cuz otherwise the company that's creating it doesn't make any money so you can't use a decentralized technology with a centralized party that that simply just does not work because you have a centralizing force already. So it, it doesn't make any sense. So that's why I don't think any of these enterprise blockchain solutions go anywhere. Uh, the other thing is, uh, I, I think, more towards like the tokenization of a lot of these other things like voting or esports or whatever. And once again, you run into a lot of the same problems. You have a centralizing force, uh, usually the founder or the creator or the foundation or the development team that's making all of it or need to make money and or whatever. Um, and that's your centralizing force. At that point, you're uh, once again using a decentralizing technology with a centralized uh, you know, entity. And again, that doesn't really make sense. And and this goes back to something that's actually part of human nature. Um Whenever you have any form of money, the the natural human instinct is to try to go and create more of that money. And uh, and you know all of you guys, when you probably first got into Bitcoin, the first thing that you probably thought about was how do I get into mining, right? Because that that feels like free money. How do I like that? That's creation that's of what money. <laughs> well, yeah. What what can I do to go and create more of this money so I can benefit from it for free? Um, and uh, and that's a very natural human instinct because we want to hoard that which is scarce. And if we could create more of something that's scarce, that's a very good thing, right? Like that's how you gain leverage and make a lot of money. 
Um, it turns out, however, with Bitcoin, because it is uniformly distributed and you need and anyone can do it, uh, you, you need it. it costs a lot of money to go and mine and things like that and uh and it's it's a lot like gold mining um a lot of a lot of people when when they learn about gold learned about gold they they went out west to go mine gold right like this this was a common thing in the 1800s uh whenever there was like a gold rush in a particular place lots of people would go there to mine because they they have this desire to go get that which is scarce and create more of it um that instinct, I think, is what's driving a lot of the ICO boom. There's a lot of people that have recognized that you can't create more Bitcoin very easily, or at least not easily profitably. Uh, so they go into creating their own coin. They want to be able to print their own money. And, uh, you know, I don't fault them for that too much because that's part of the human instinct to uh, be able to create something scarce that other people can buy because that's how you get rich. Uh, mm -hmm. But but it's it's very uh, misaligned with uh, civilization. You don't build civilization by printing more money. Uh, you could argue that something like 10 or 12 percent of the U.S. GDP is in the banking sector. They're all in the uh, business of printing money. And that's a pretty large tax on society. They're not; none of them are doing anything. They're just pushing paper around, um, and that's more or less what these ICOs are doing. They're they're you know printing useless stuff and not really adding any value. Whereas you know the other way to make money is to actually build something that uh, build a good or service that people want, and and give that to them uh, for some amount of money. That actually builds civilization. That requires mm -hmm. capital accumulation that requires you to actually work hard and add something to people's lives. That's that's how, you know, Rome was built, more or less. It's 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 people that want to do uh, something that will uh, that will benefit other people and get paid for it. And when you do that, this this builds stuff up. You get like much more efficiency. I mean, this is all covered in uh Safety's book, by the way, the Bitcoin standard. And one of the examples that he gives is that it, it, at the beginning, people used to try to catch fish with their hands. And then, uh, you know, they realized, OK, you know, if we use like nets and spears and stuff like that, this can be a lot more efficient. But you have to go and accumulate capital in order to have time to be able to build your spears and nets. And uh, but and this is what capitalism is. It's accumulation of capital so you can build better, more efficient stuff. Uh, and of course, that's a lot more efficient. If you can now stab fish and collect more fish than the guy next to you that's trying to catch it with his hands, then you can go and sell the extra fish and accumulate even more capital. And eventually that led to, you know, boats. Right. And nets and things like that. that the, and you can you can get even more scale out of that. And, uh, you know, fast forward to today and you have these giant fishing vessels that take years and years to build. But once once you have them out there, they can create like in uh, they can capture enormous amounts of fish from places that no one would have ever dreamt that you can catch fish, uh, you know, back in, you know, the primitive times when people are catching fish with their hands. And that 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 causes a lot more efficiency throughout. And that builds civilization that. That's the direction that we want we want to go in with Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's it's people that value sound money and sound money. Uh, they call it hard money for a reason. It's hard to produce. Right. 
Whereas, you know, fiat money is easy money. It's very easy to produce. It just requires a signature. And this is at its heart why proof of work is so important. It's hard to produce. That's a feature, not a bug. The fact that it is hard to produce is what makes it so that other people don't want uh, like are spending their time like creating goods and services that people actually want instead of this useless activity of creating more of the scarce thing that's being utilized as money. And that that's the direction that as a society is is much, much better, because in the end, you you end up with people on the moon or whatever. Uh, and, you know, uh, just to wrap it up, you, uh, I'd like to push back a little bit. I'd like to push back a little bit on this. Um, I feel like what you said was mostly right for money. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of like, let's, let's go back to, I guess, the enterprise play. Uh, mm-hmm. The goal of enterprise play, where I, where I think a lot of them go wrong, is when they try and introduce value exchange inside these centralized systems. The purpose that the, the purpose for real decentralization is 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 an equal understanding of value and the creation of that value. Which you said, printing money is hard, and the decentralization aspect of Bitcoin is hard to print money. So we can then all agree that that money is fair. But if increasing efficiencies inside of large organizations using decentralized services, I think is, is at least a novel approach. Just because someone hasn't done it right doesn't mean we can't figure out a way to do it, which goes along the same lines of thinking as ICOs. Like, in my opinion, we just learned how to make fire, and now we're burning ourselves trying to find places, appropriate <laughs> places to use it. And just because we haven't really, really, really made the steam engine yet, or whatever else, the appropriate use of fire, doesn't mean that trying to do it is a bad approach. It's just trying to do it appropriately is right. And, and in my opinion, there's a lot of problems with how large organizations are run with central authorities having too much power. And in just increasing that decentralization a little bit using organizational scope is a novel approach so that you can decentralize the administration of some of the things that are passed around or kept track of or just even – decreasing redundancy of a lot of the different disparate organizations within that or sub organizations within that organization. And I think blockchains can help there somewhere. It's just when you introduce value exchange, it no longer makes sense because you don't have a kind of agreeable understanding of how difficult it is to um, produce that value because it's all basically owned by a single self-interested group. That doesn't make sense. But, and that's why like, real money is good in a completely decentralized thing like blockchain because it's hard to do and the people who are involved with it have very 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 different incentives aligned with why they're doing it so there's not a lot of collusion involved and it's you know evenly distributed as you point out with proof of work but mm-hmm. saying that all those other things are worthless or bad is 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 a little short-sighted in my opinion it's just we haven't figured out good use cases for them yet I mean, I, I'm open to the possibility that there might be something. But as far as I've seen, there is nothing that actually works or is even close to working. And it would be one thing if you had uh, people that knew what the trade-offs were. For the most part, what these places are selling is completely based on, okay, look at all these other people that are uh, doing this, it's it's uh, it's sales based on social signaling. I'm not I'm not gonna um, argue with that. I'm definitely yeah, not gonna and, argue with that. And, and you know, like you might be right. There might be a particular way in which to do it. Um, uh, you know, one one of the things that I would 
think might work is anchoring it to the Bitcoin blockchain to add that actual decentralization. But how's a company going to make money off of it and things like that? I don't know. But my gut instinct is that most of these enterprise uh, blockchain things don't work because it's right now a buzzword and and it's a very specific technology. Uh, I think components of it can be, certainly be utilized to make business processes faster and better. And I, I outlined this in my article, blo Alternatives to Blockchain. I, I came up with like five different things that you can actually use that are part of the bl entire blockchain technology stack that you can take and probably make a lot of things more efficient. But for the most part, they don't do it that way. Most most of these, uh, or, or uh, all of the ones that I've seen anyway, are uh, touting blockchain technology as if you have to take this very elaborate and complicated machine in its whole in order to get whatever benefits that you're purporting. You can get it without taking the whole thing. There are parts of it that might be very useful, like fire, you said, but you're but the blockchain is the equivalent of an entire, you know, like apparatus for, I don't know, a, an oven or something like that, right? Like some, some something very complicated uh, that you're trying to use to do all sorts of things that uh, it's just not appropriate for. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I mostly agree with what you said. It's just the things that I've seen and uh, and the things that are being purported out there simply do not make sense uh, in the way that they're saying it. Um, maybe they can pivot and do something else, but um, I've been in enterprise software. It's not that easy, and mo most of them will fail. Um, it, it's just inevitable. I agree with that. That's just the nature of things, though. Most businesses yeah. fail. Yes. Most animals go extinct. I mean, yeah. You know. yeah, but the pursuit of them, I think the pursuit of them is incredibly important. Like, just because yeah. they're going to fail, we shouldn't say you shouldn't try and do it because some of them eventually won't. And that's where you get real innovation is the people who tried something that everyone else said would fail and they and it ends up working. And well, I, I agree with that. It's uh, but most of these quote unquote innovations are coming out of these okay. giant labs that are just uh, justifying uh, existing, right? Like IBM and Hyperledger and all, like they're not innovating. Big companies don't know how to innovate. If you had a startup that was selling to big businesses that were trying something really innovative, that I would agree with, but like these these quote unquote innovation labs that are using blockchain or whatever and have an alliance with like 30 different companies and we're doing something or whatever, most of them aren't concerned with actually adding innovations. They're mostly concerned with justifying the fact that they are getting paid salaries from these giant companies. So they more or less have proof of press release or something like that. That's the only thing that they put out, it proof seems. Press release. Um, <laughs> and it's 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 not about innovation at all. Actual innovation, like you were saying, of uh, you know companies and entrepreneurs that are actually trying to solve a real problem using the right tech and everything else. That I agree with. Uh, what what the enterprise space is filled with is not that. It's uh, it's labs at these giant companies that don't know what the hell they're doing and are playing buzzword bingo to impress their superiors. Well, uh, as I think, uh, you know, time to wrap up, uh, but I wanted to I know my co-host say talking about this, but I'm curious to ask 
where do you see Bitcoin by the end of summer? Where where do you see the bottom? Where do you see it going? <laughs> I, oh, I don't price talk. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't <laughs> generally do price talk. Uh, uh, but we usually know, the, don't. No, I. I, I uh, but the one thing I do say about price is, you know, people always. And really, this is the question at the heart of your question: is, is it a good time to buy? Right, like. Am I going to regret buying if I if I buy now versus later or should I wait or should I do something else or whatever? <laughs> and this is this is at the heart of everyone that's uh, listening for the sake of figuring out what to do. Should I buy now or not? And my answer is always the same. If you're going to hold for six months and then sell when it halves or doubles, then don't bother because then that like that that's not going to be useful to you or the community or anything else. Um, but if you're going to hold for five years, any time is a good time to buy. If you bought five years ago, and remember, 2013 was a pretty turbulent year. It started at $10 and went all the way up to 260 fell back to 50 stayed around 100 for all summer. And then October, Ross Elbrick gets arrested. It goes down to 80 and then it goes on a bull run like never before uh, for like two months, goes all the way up to 1100 and then falls back to like 800 by the end of the year. Crazy year, right? If you bought at any of those mm -hmm. points, you would be doing really well right now. Um, but it requires some conviction. And if you're going to be a long term holder, you actually need to know about the technology. You can't just say, okay, well, I'll just put some money in this because then you're going to be that seller in six months that that buys or that sells if it halves or it, that buys if or that sells if it doubles, right? Like it's, you're not really, you're, you're not contributing anything. You might make a little money, maybe not. You might lose some money. Uh, but the key to investment and this is uh, this is from like that word investment comes from an old French word for vestments, right? The vestments are things that you put on. They're like clothing. Um, investments are supposed to be things that are a part of you, something that you put on. Uh, and that's the attitude I want people to have is that this is something that's a part of me. I really need to know about it uh, and not just very hmm. superficially. Because uh, if you're not, if you don't really know about it, it's the same as gambling. And if you want to gamble, fine. I, I mean, you have the right to do that. But uh, if you really want to make a lot of money, you need to have some conviction and not sell when it goes down 70%. Not, you know, and hold through like 5x, 10x gains. There were plenty of people that bought in 2011, right? Like, uh, and this, this is something that really annoys me. A lot of people come up and say, oh, Jimmy, you're so lucky you... You learned about Bitcoin in 2011. You know, I wish I had learned about it then because then I'd be like a millionaire and all that stuff. And I'm like, I don't know if you would, because uh, if you learn, <laughs> there, there's a lot of people that uh, that bought in 2011 that couldn't hold for whatever reason. Now, it, it, it could be a lot of reasons. It could be that, you know, they were just in it to double their money and they doubled it and they got out. Uh, it could be that they didn't have the wherewithal to hold through like these steep market drops. So they they sold when it dropped from 260 to 50 and they just they they just sold or they might have gotten squeezed out. Right. Like they had some financial pressure. You know, maybe they were unemployed for a while or they went through a divorce or something and they they had to sell some bitcoins. Uh, it is extremely difficult to hold. Uh, one, one of the essays that I read recently 
uh, was talking about financial discipline. The hardest thing to do in finance is to do nothing because your emotions will try to make you do stuff that is bad for you long term. Uh, whether it's, uh, you know, holding or selling or whatever, uh, your emotions generally work against you to, um, to, you know, take you away from doing nothing. But that's the hardest thing to do. And it requires a lot of discipline and requires a lot of conviction. It requires a lot of study. And you earn every bit of the price rise. And to think yeah. that you can do that, with, you know, like seven years ago, that's just having too high a view of yourself unless you actually learned it and went through it. I mean, I, I've been tempted many times in the last, you know, seven years or whatever to go and sell. And uh, and that's completely normal. There's a lot of people that were really scared when Bitcoin was at one hundred fifty dollars in 2015 or 16 or whenever it was. It's 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 a hard deal. And you have to go through that if you want those gains. If you I mean, if if it, if Bitcoin just went up all the time, it would be the easiest investment in the world. Uh, but, yeah. you know, if, if you really want those gains, you need to learn to have some conviction. And that's that's what I would encourage all your listeners to do. Not focus on the short term, but really understand the technology. And if you're convinced then buy and hold for five years at least, and then you'll be good. Absolutely. I like Again, Cello, I got an answer for you. About 8,400 bucks. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. I, I actually agree with you 100%. I've actually written a blog about how difficult it is to hold because mm -hmm. people it, – it, it's only when a lagging indicator – like after the price has gone up by so many hundreds of percent – that they look at you as the person that's holding as like, oh, you just you you took the easy route. You didn't do anything. You didn't trade. You didn't do anything. And look how much you made. And I'm like, do you know how hard it is? It's hard. To <laughs> not buy. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. You know how hard it is to not buy stuff and just yeah. hold. It is not easy. It takes a lot of discipline. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess that's how uh, you build wealth. You you earn every cent. You earn every cent. Absolutely. Um, so I guess I'd say our last question, our trademark question, um, is in 10 words or less, uh, can you describe Bitcoin? Decentralized, digitally scarce, sound money. Well put for That's less than for 10 sure. words. Yeah, that is less than 10 words. Yep. That's it's good. We're getting a lot more success. We're getting a high success rate these days. <laughs> Very high. Is that a good thing, guys, or uh, is that a bad thing? I don't know. Maybe the passion isn't. I mean, that, used to, or like the irrational exuberance yeah. isn't there, where they just ramble on about a bunch of things. It's like that they have yeah. good, sound ideas of what this is, and they can say it succinctly. We're getting to the point. We're Dr. Seuss and Bitcoin. We're almost there. Okay. Well, thank you for stopping by, Jimmy. Oh, thank really you for having me. It. It was a lot of fun. I'm buying a Stetson. Next time you see me, I'm gonna have a Stetson. Oh, you you gotta get one. Oh, yeah. please! It, I hope that happens. They, they, they <laughs> always, I swear, they look good on everybody, like every single person. I'll does keep, it does I'll it have to be a cowboy boots. hat, or can I get like a uh, like a straw hat? Okay. Does it have to be? 
It, oh, has to be a, it, it has to be a cowboy hat. I don't it think Stetson makes straw right. hats. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, some of the cowboy hats are made out of straw, but yeah. It's, you know, uh, you know that means well, no right fedoras, here. no hemp fedoras or anything. Oh, God, no. Yeah. No, you don't want to be the incel in a fedora with milady and all that. No, you don't want to do that. <laughs> it, yeah. it means uh, if we all get Stetsons, then if we ever see you at a conference, then we have to sit together. That's exactly oh, we got we got to take a picture. Yeah, that or do <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> all right. Uh, Thank you.